Welcome to the Healthy Pickleballer Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee. Today, we have a remarkable guest joining us, someone who brings a unique blend of wisdom, experience, and success to the table. Our guest today is Andrew McConnell, the founder of Rinden.com, an entrepreneur, and a best-selling author of the book, Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom. Andrew is also a former member of the U.S. national team in open water swimming, so he knows firsthand what it takes to compete at an elite level, and he's here to share his insights with us. So we'll dive deep into the concept from Andrew's book and explore how they apply specifically to the world of pickleball. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And I think you did a really good job introducing me, so I don't know how much more I'd have to say. I mean, the the work that I do, right, I don't want to pigeonhole in any one thing, but the the one that I find seems to have the most impact and is most gratifying. We were just talking before this about just coming back from speaking at a conference, uh, signing several hundred books, right, and people really getting behind it is helping people realize the one thing that they own and ever will own is their mind and their mindset, right? Their body can get sick. It can get injured. No matter how much you put into it, you don't fully control it. Physical goods, much more obvious, right? People can steal them. They can break and all this, but our mindset's the one thing we own. And yet we live our lives. So many people virtually hundred percent as tenants, right? We just give it away, even though we own it, People enter the day and feel like, oh, I don't have enough time. Oh man, this person's taken up. So the person who cut you off in traffic, right? You, they don't know you exist. You don't even know their name, but you end up in a bad mood for hours later because of this one road incident. And that's the default for all of us, but it doesn't have to be where we finish. I, my daughter's seven and explain with her, with swimming, with running, with everything she does. I said, look, it's not where you start. It's where you finish. Right? If you put in the work in, if you dedicate to this, you can be so much better. When I was 13 was when I joined my first year-round swim team. I was put in the lanes with the seven-year-olds. And so I, I explained that to my daughter. Like, And then by 18, I was on the national team. Right, It's mm -hmm. not where you start. It's where you finish if you put the work in. And getting people to, to recognize that and recognize, like with physical health, like with nutrition, things that we know we have to work on daily, weekly, monthly, year after year, that our mindset and our mental health is the exact same kind of thing. You don't read a book. You don't go hear a speech. You don't listen to a podcast and magically change tomorrow. It is a lifelong journey and lifelong work. And yeah, that that's probably the, the work that I'm most excited about. Yeah. And I'm sure as somebody who's competed in open water swimming, I'm sure you're very accustomed to kind of having to deal with these adverse conditions that are out of your control. Yeah. I mean, yesterday... Uh, hopping in and got stung by, I don't know, 10 different jellyfish, right? And so people are like, oh my God, did you get out right immediately? No, you know, I swam for an hour and a half. <laughs> just, just like it stung a little bit, but it's not going to make me stop swimming. It just doesn't feel great. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to kind of diving into um, some of that mental aspect of, of um, you know, mental clarity. Well, Andrew, can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview of the book, um, of your book, Get Out of My Head, and and share maybe some um, of how the concepts can be applied to the world of pickleball? I mean, it sounds like it's it's going to have application to to everybody, but but how can it be applied specifically to pickleball? Yeah, so the the concept, right, this idea of tendency versus ownership of our mind, and there are kind of three big uh, groups 
that we can give our ownership away to. So there are other people, right? There's the competitor that you talk about, oh man, he really got in his head. Well, mm -hmm. okay, that's someone we need to learn how to evict from our mind and how we do it. Um, but as we do that, we need to make sure it's not a wall as we set those boundaries, it's a gate because maybe you also have a coach. Maybe you have a teammate who's watching you and says, hey, you know, you, if you change this one thing, you would be much better. You don't want walls where you don't take any feedback and right, you need to let the critic count, take that feedback. So in setting your boundaries, you want them to be gates where you're deciding when and under what circumstances you're going to take that feedback in and how you're going to process it, right? So that's that's category number one, how we set our boundaries, how we open those gates, let the critic count. The second group are these events and circumstances outside of our control. You know, that you get to a certain point in your life where you realize, I can be the kind of person that complains about the weather, or I can choose not to be that person, right? We all get to decide, do I want to complain about the weather? None of us can do anything about it. So do I want to give my time, my mind, my attitude to this thing I can't control? And I think uh, watching the, the Wimbledon final and Djokovic's speech afterwards really hit home for me on this and, and applies tennis, pickleball, you know, whatever the sport is of he for years, decades, put everything he could and can into training, into his nutrition, into his sleep and recovery, into his mental training and mindset and how he manages stress. Um, and on the day of, he plays absolutely as hard as he could, right? Every single time. And then that was Alcaraz's day. Mm -hmm. and, and Djokovic in the speech said, look, there were years that it could have gone to Roger. It could have gone to Rafael but it went to me and today it went to Carlos and he recognized the distinction between the process and the result. If you have a good process, don't get hung up on the result, right? Those years that it could have gone to Roger, if all he cared about was the result and lifting that trophy, Djokovic could have told himself, I'm the best in the world. I don't need to train the same. Like I'm so much better than these guys, but he knew even then, even when he was winning, Hey, this really could have gone either way. I need to up my game. I need to keep elevating it. Same when he lost of, hey, it's not like I didn't put everything out here. I'm not going to, I'm sad. I'm crying, right? Like this is hard to lose, but I'm not going to take the wrong lesson from this. My career is not over. And he turned around and won the US Open, right? He focused on the process. And I think that's a huge thing with pickleball, any, any point that it could go either way, do everything you can, but don't get caught up in the result. Make sure the process is good. And that's that's where, you know, setting those boundaries is gates, having somebody that can watch it. If you're videotaping, like how you can get better on your process, mm. the results eventually follow, but don't get hung up just on the, the results. And then the third, the third big category that we end up giving our mind away to serving as tenants is the, the trickiest one. And that's these different versions of ourselves. Right. A lot of times it's not the other player that got in their head. It's that that critical voice in our head. Oh, you idiot. How did you mm. just get that in the net? Oh my God, what a <laughs> terrible stuff. Right. All of that. And that that is where we really, un unless you're Buddha or something, like we don't turn that off. But what you can get better at is noticing it more quickly. Right. In between points, if you start noticing, wait, I'm getting a little tense. Okay, my my head's not there. Just like 
take that breath and get your center back. Don't give your mind to the worst version of yourself or the less than best version of yourself. Bring yourself back, right? You can't stop the subconscious from jumping in there, being self-critical, but you can hear that voice like, uh, okay, let's see what I'm doing here. Let me step back from that. Let me decide how I'm going to go into this next point. And so I think in pickleball where there is this give and take, right? We're, we're playing against opponents. We have people that may be watching. We have certain points that maybe should have gone our way, but didn't. Uh, and then we have this inner critical voice, this idea of taking back that ownership and, and using it to serve us as opposed to living as a tenant and just kind of going wherever it takes us is an incredibly powerful one and impactful one. I think that you just mentioned a lot of the different factors that really do go into um, or have an effect on people's play on the court. You're talking about your opponent. You're talking about your own mindset. You're talking about maybe having some spectators if you're playing at you know, maybe in a tournament. Um, and I think that certainly can create a lot of disturbances in your mind. Um, and I think right there in the title of your book, you know, you're, you're talking about creating, you know, kind of modern clarity. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more in, in mental clarity and, and and how that, you know, can really help uh, pickleball players to, you know, make better decisions when they're, when they're on the court? Yeah. So there's this line from Epictetus about there are things that we can control and things that we can't. And it's only once we learn this distinction that inner tranquility and outer effectiveness are possible, right? It's very similar to the serenity prayer that came much later. But this idea of what is in our control and what is not as we're playing and making sure that we're giving our time, attention, and effort to those things that we can control. I can't control what happened on the last point. I can't, like totally outside of my hands. But I can now, if I choose, take control of my mindset going in to this next point. Mm -hmm. and, and am I going to go in of, man, I'm such an idiot. I'm playing so terrible today. Or, hey, not tied to the result. That that one really didn't go my way. This is a brand new start. Let, let's get going. Right. And if you do that, you get that inner tranquility because you're not banging your head against the wall on something you can't change at all, but you're focusing all of your mental energy on what is in your control. And that's how you're ultimately the most effective, right? It doesn't guarantee the outcome, right? Djokovic still did not win Wimbledon, but he had that mental clarity to not let it ruin him where he could go on to the next tournament, the next point. Mm -hmm. And then you, you keep doing that you might win 24 majors, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, you, I think you kind of talked about the first step in this process is really kind of having the awareness of these moments. Um, what are some things that like, you know, we can be doing or, or people can be doing off the court to kind of, um, you know, implement this stuff into their day-to-day -day routine to help them achieve some of that um, holistic wellness and mental clarity that ultimately is going to allow them to, enjoy their time more on the court. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, meditation obviously is, is a, a very obvious answer here in that the point of meditation is not the meditation. The point of the meditation is getting better at noticing for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So whether it's meditating, whether it's breath work, whether it's just having a check-in with yourself 
every 60 minutes, every 45 minutes throughout the day, where Harvard researchers have found that 47% of the time, we're thinking about something other than what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And when we're doing that, we're less happy than when we're focused on the thing that we're doing. So half of our lives, we're not living it and it's making us miserable. If you can practice throughout the day, even before you get to the court, right, you get better and better. So maybe initially you could have your head spin, like you're laying in bed and your, your mind's replaying a match or something, whatever it is, and you're exhausted, but you don't sleep for two hours because you can't turn the movie off or you don't turn the movie off. But maybe the next time you 90 minutes and notice it, like, oh, wait, I, it's, it's time to push stop on this movie. This is not serving me then 60 minutes and 30 minutes. And, and you don't, again, unless you're Buddha, like I, I have not reached this point. You don't automatically like, great, there, I move over. You can just move the period of noticing earlier. So initially you might not notice until an hour after the match of, man, after that point, I really fell apart, right? Mm -hmm. I had this inner monologue going. And, and so the next time maybe it's, you do it a little earlier and the next time you do it a little earlier and the next time you do it before you play the next point. Right. And it, it's just, it's a muscle just like everything else. It's a skill, just like everything physically we have to build out to go build that skill of being able to notice and notice more quickly. And each person is going to be a little different on what the signs are, right? Once you start to notice the signs of wow, okay, I started breathing through my mouth instead of my nose or my heart rate's little feeling a little more pressurized than it did just a minute ago. Um, or I'm holding the racket a little tighter than I normally would in this situation. Whatever your signals are, getting training yourself to, to notice them and notice them earlier is it was what lets you get ahead of that more quickly. And I kind of want to go back to the, you know, talking about Djokovic, actually, somebody who has spoken on the fact that, you know, at, at the professional level, all of those guys can hit the ball really well. I mean, they're, you know, they have big serves, big forehands, ground strokes, they all do that well. But, you know, what separates some of the really great players is that mental aspect of the game. And I think that somebody who's over time has just always paid so much attention to that. I think that's what has really helped to separate him apart from the other competitors. And that's so true in any aspect, right? Like in, mm -hmm. in any kind of thing like that, it's it's 90% physical and the other 90% is mental, right? Yep. You know, that, that mental part, because to your point, I mean, the physical, once you get to a certain level, everybody's doing the same physical stuff. Like, unless you find some brand new way of training that's totally unique. I mean, the physical conditioning, I have a friend that, ran a, a team in the Navy SEALs and you're saying, look, the guys coming in now versus when I came in, they are light years ahead in physical conditioning, but the graduation rate's no different, mm. right? Cause it's physical conditioning was, you needed some level of table stakes and you could be 10 times better than that. But if you didn't have the mental conditioning, it, you fall off, mm -hmm. right? The mental in every aspect of our life. Cause that's, that's what keeps us from sleeping at night. That's what decides if we get up and the attitude we take when we get up, that every interaction we have with anyone else, uh, every point we play, that mind is there driving all of it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that um, oftentimes on this podcast, we've often focused on what people can be doing off the court to help them, you know, with their uh, performance on the court, as well as um, their injury prevention on the court. But I think I want to talk a little bit more about the reverse relationship about that and what pickleball is doing to contribute to people's um, health and wellness in their day-to-day life. And I think when we've previously talked, you know, we've kind of mentioned the, you know, the five pillars of health. And uh, can you elaborate a little bit on uh, on that and how pickleball is addressing some of those components and, and contributing to our health and wellness? Yeah, for sure. It's in, in our country, so much of, quote, healthcare is really sick care, right? It's when there are problems, people have to go fix them, right? It's the injury is when we go into healthcare. But what pickleball actually is, is true healthcare. It is not sick care, it is healthcare. And so when you think of the five pillars, we have nutrition, we have exercise, we have social connection, we have uh, stress management, and we have sleep and recovery, right? And you think about what pillars you're touching, you're, you're probably not eating on the court, so maybe you're taking nutrition out, but every other one, pickleball is hammering, right? The exercise, it's getting you out, it's getting you moving. That is amazing, right? The, the difference between zero minutes and 10 minutes of activity, 15 minutes of activity is infinitely larger than between 15 minutes and four hours, right? It's that that biggest lift is just getting up and doing something. So just getting out there, playing, practicing, whatever it is, you're already doing a great job on that. Um, when it comes to sleep and recovery, right? Like you're not going to be as good the next time if you're, you're not sleeping well, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not doing the stretches and, and creating the balances in your body. You don't want to overbuild. And then that's how you end up getting an injury. And so being thoughtful, right. While you're out playing, you're learning your body better. And so that, that recovery part comes in social connection. It's not a, a solo task, right? When I go swim in the ocean, most of the time it's just being by myself, but when you're playing pickleball, you're in a community, you're in a group, you're getting by virtue of while you're doing the physical activity, that social connection. And if you put the work in the stress management that mindset becomes part of the work of playing and practice saying okay yep that wasn't a great point but you know the next one could be and so you're practicing back to the the gift from meditation is not the meditation it's the rest of your life and the gift of training your mind not to go down these rabbit holes and dark alleyways if you're practicing that and training that while you're playing pickleball that's a gift for the rest of your day, the rest of your life. You're, that is a skill that ports 100% to every interaction you have from there on out. And so pickleball, people have their opinions on, but like, to me, it's a little bit like Harry Potter. And people say, oh, it's, it's not great literature. Adults shouldn't be reading this, this, that, and the other. And like, well, one, it got millions, if not tens of millions of people reading who would otherwise not be reading Mm -hmm. so like pickleball is not the same as running a marathon but running a marathon by yourself and overtraining and doing all that like it may actually for your life be a much healthier thing it gets people out it gets them socially connected it gets them moving like it is a gift to society and to anybody who is getting excited about it and going and playing and so i i look at it in that light of wow like this has really elevated our society. And when you think about healthcare, the benefits of people hitting all these pillars, doing all this, staying physically active, 
I'd be so curious, 10, 20 years down the line, how did our sick care spending maybe go down with the launch of Pickleball and more people being active and more people being socially connected and more people working on that mindset? Because it's going to have an impact and it's going to have a positive impact. I think so. And I think there's been a lot of articles that have been, you know, talking about the injuries that are occurring with pickleball. But I think to your point, I think that down the road, we're going to see the um, the benefits of pickleball and, and how, you know, it's people are going to have better cardiovascular you know, health because they've been more active. So I think that that um, it's going to achieve just that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Right? That, sure, you might never get injured if you sit on your couch all day, but you're also going to be atrophied in your muscles and maybe like when you're 80 slip and break a hip mm-hmm. you didn't keep that mobility and flexibility so yes you got a little niggling injury you had something you may have to have some surgery on but the activity that everything else that it's contributing to your metabolic health everything that is a gift far outweighing the the injuries you might come across yeah. And I can speak directly to the the social aspect of the game. I mean, I've been playing just for a couple of months now, but every time I play, I feel like, you know, we're exchanging numbers with the people and, and trying to coordinate the next time we're going to play. And I think that's an aspect of the game that I've really fallen in love with. And I think there's a reason why, um, you know, this game boomed when it did uh, during the pandemic in 2020. I think people were you know, kind of craving that activity um, that, you know, allowed them to socialize and interact and maybe some of the activities that that people were doing beforehand, like going to the gym, you know, they couldn't do that. So I think pickleball kind of, you know, stepped in right at the right time. Build that community, right? Like if, if the alternative is, oh, normally we'd just go to sit at this bar for two hours and now mm-hmm. we play pickleball for 90 minutes and then grab one drink at the bar for 30 minutes after. Like, what do you think is better for life and social connection, mental health, physical health? It's much more the latter. Yeah, it, it really came at the right time. Yeah. And so I think like any sport or activity, you know, injury is certainly going to be kind of um, an aspect of the game that happens. And, you know, as a, as a PT, I've seen how injuries can really affect the the mental health of people. I think that, you know, it affects them physically, um, it affects them mentally, but then it, uh, when you start you know, taking away things that people can be doing, it it also takes away that social aspect that people are really, um, that people really enjoy about pickleball, um, which can just kind of lead to just that continuation of these negative thoughts. And I think that can impact somebody's ability to recover um, from that injury. How does somebody kind of, you know, shift that mindset when they're going through, you know, some of those difficult circumstances? Yeah, to me, I, I think it comes to not pigeon pigeonholing yourself too much, mm-hmm. right? Make sure that the identity or label of pickleball is serving you and you're not serving it, right? Pickleball is giving you all of these benefits, but as soon as you get hurt and you can't play pickleball anymore, you, you could go about it one way of like, okay, I'm a pickleball player. I can't do that right now for the next three months because of this injury. But if you say, hey, I'm someone now who's active and engaging in my community and doing all of this, then pickleball was one way I did that. With this injury, what else could I do? What would that look like? And it, I had a conversation just a month ago with a friend said, you know, I was this avid runner. I was doing this. I got into this great shape and then hurt my ankle and I couldn't run. So I put on 15 pounds and kind of wheels came off. And I think, well, this is really interesting. Like I had 
surgery on my knee two months ago and I wasn't allowed in the water, couldn't swim, right? Swim a bunch, couldn't do the same deadlift squats, whatever it was in the gym. But my identity wasn't a squatter or a deadlifter or mm-hmm. a hey, I just stay active every day. So even before the surgery, when I couldn't move, right? I'm on crutches, couldn't, I, I had bands at home and I would just create exercise. Like what muscles can I activate? What can I do to stay active? And my nutrition didn't change. I still knew the food that was good for me to eat and continued to eat that food. And so for some, right, perfect becomes the enemy of good of, oh, if I can't have everything that's this one package, then I can't have anything. And I think with injury, if we reframe it of, hey, I can't have that thing, but what is it about that that I enjoy? What is it about that that I derive joy from that I get benefits from and how could I find other ways in this period where I can't do that specific thing to do something else it still is providing me social connection is still maybe keeping me physically active those are always open to us there there are other avenues to do it right you you think about people uh there's a guy got locked in syndrome right literally Mm -hmm. speak can't move he wrote an entire book by blinking Mm-hmm. Right. You can say, oh, because I can't physically write or because I can't speak, I can't write. No, he, he's I have someone I am someone who has a story to tell. I'm going to find a way to tell the story. And as long as we see our identity as larger than a single label, we can reform that and reshape that to our benefit. Right. Instead of our detriment. Yeah. And I think that that's really um, important to to kind of think about what it is that you enjoy about that. And you can even use that as that as your motivation day to day to, to kind of do the things that you need to in order to get yourself back to that, um, back to that activity that you love doing. And I think that's something that, that you um, kind of talk about too, is it's kind of that um, repetition and doing things over time and how it eventually kind of, you know, really builds up and, and can be a greater sum. Yeah. It's, I was, I was working with the, I normally just do my own gym, but just started this my third week with a, a physical trainer because with the knee injury and the surgery and everything, just making sure that I'm coming back and, and stay in balance. And we're doing some work on my shoulder, right? From swimming, I had some injuries and we're going in and he's like, well, just so you know, like this, this could take a year, this could take a while. And a lot of clients get upset. Like, Look, man, this took 42 years to create this problem. I, I don't expect it's going to take two weeks. To <laughs> it these i i understand handstands right handstands i've been working on for 15 years i'm still not amazing at handstand i'm not walking all over but it's something i continue to work on it's if something's important to you then it's worth the process to invest in and i'm not looking for a quick fix on the shoulder whatever it is i'm looking for having a healthier body as i go into my fifth decade my sixth decade my seventh decade and thinking about that whole process as opposed to, oh, it's just this one destination I'm trying to get to uh, has has helped me, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Jerry, I think that you've shared a lot of really valuable insights. Um, and, you know, are these things and, and concepts that we've talked about, are these things that people could find more of, you know, if they were to pick up the book, Get Out of My Head? Yeah, absolutely. So on my website, mandrewmcconnell.com, there's a a free preview of the book. So you can read the intro, first chapter, see if it's something that resonates with you. But then they're also, like I said, listening to one podcast, reading one book, going, hearing one speech is not going to change your life. It's Mm -hmm. the work that goes with it. 
And so every chapter of the book has exercises to do the work that I have to go back to all the time, all the time, because you have to do the work. And those exercises are pulled out and available for free download on the website as well. So even if you don't want to read the whole book, don't want to buy the book, you can get this PDF with the exercises that allow you uh, the benefit of having that structure and that outline to do the work necessary to reclaim that mental ownership. That's great. And I think that's, that's because right in line with what you were talking about earlier, where it's, it's just, it's a muscle and you got to train it. And I think having uh, a structured plan and, and some exercises that people can go through is, is going to help them to achieve that. For sure. Um, and Andrew, if, if people wanted to find more information about you and your available resources, you just kind of mentioned your website um, and um, yeah, where can people find you? Yeah, the website and it'll have the outlinks elsewhere, but LinkedIn and Instagram, as well as the website are probably the best places where I'm most active. I'm on Twitter or Facebook, but I'm not nearly as active on those. Okay, great. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on our podcast today. I know our listeners got a lot of value. And um, yeah, definitely encourage you to go check out his book. Um, and um, yeah, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode. Be sure to join us next time. Until then, stay healthy, pickleballers. <laughs>